0: This story is, I think, fairly well known. But last week, as we're looking at a kind of midsummer mini series, you might think, um, about prominent women in the Bible, we looked at Ruth last week. Ruth's story was about four chapters long, uh, Esther's story is much longer, 10 chapters. And some of the details of the story are. A little bit complicated but um, I'm gonna read a, a summary of the story kind of the Reader's Digest version kind of you know just to get the essence of the story itself and so like any good story even if you know it and know it well it's always good to hear it again and and look for new insights Esther lived in ancient Persia about 100 years after the Babylonian captivity of the people of Judah during the events recorded in the book of Ezra. Her Hebrew name was Hadasha, which means myrtle. When Esther's parents died, the orphan child was adopted and raised by her older cousin named Mordecai. One day, the king of the Persian Empire, Xerxes I, threw a lavish party that lasted days upon days. On the final day of the festivities, he called for his queen, Vashti, eager to flaunt her beauty to all of his guests. But the queen refused to appear before Xerxes. Filled with anger, he he deposed Queen Vashti and forever removed her from his presence. To find a new queen, queen, Xerxes hosted a royal beauty pageant. Young women from across the empire were brought to the palace and given beauty treatments and lived together in the palace for an entire year. Each were, were assigned someone to make sure that they were as beautiful and, and eloquent as possible. Esther was among these women who were chosen, and her attendant, Haggai, was very impressed from her from the start. Though she thought it best that she not reveal to him or anyone else that she was a Jewish woman. So this was kept secret. When she was finally presented before King Xerxes, she was pleased, he, he was pleased with her more than any of the, of the other beautiful women that were paraded before him, and, she, and he made her queen. Esther's cousin Mordecai became a, an official in the Persian government of Susa. Soon Mordecai uncovered a plot to assassinate King Xerxes, He told Esther about the conspiracy, and she reported it to Xerxes, giving credit to Mordecai. The plot was thwarted, and Mordecai's act of courage and kindness was preserved in writing in the Chronicles of the King. At this time, the king also elevated a wicked and arrogant man named Haman to a seat of high power in the kingdom. Everyone, including all the other officials in the king's service, was compelled to bow down to Haman when he passed by. Mordecai refused to bow to him. Haman already hated the Jews, and when he saw Mordecai's defiance toward him, he hated all the Jews even more, especially Mordecai. So Haman devised a scheme to have every Jew in all of Persia killed. All of them. He convinced the king that these people were obstinate, refusing to worship the gods of Persia or to follow Persian customs. The king agreed to this plan to annihilate the Jewish people on a specific day. Persia's empire at that time stretched from India to Ethiopia. Letters were sent out well in advance of the chosen day, which was, by our calendar, March seven. Mordecai learned of this plot and shared it with Esther, challenging her to go before the king on behalf of the people. She was hesitant at first, fearful to go before him. Mordecai said to her, and this is from the fourth chapter of Esther, 13th verse, Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Esther had a change of heart and realized what she must do. She urged all the Jews to fast and pray for deliverance. Then, risking her own life, brave young Esther approached the king with a request. This was no small matter. Though she was queen, she had her own separate living quarters. And anyone who went before Xerxes without being summoned could be rejected by him before they utter a word. If they were rejected... They were executed without trial or recourse, and that would include even the queen. Her life was on the line to go before the king. Esther found the courage to approach him, and he was pleased that she came. Her request was to hold a banquet with the king and invite only Haman as an honored guest. Haman got very puffed up by this invitation and boasted to everyone that he was the only one invited to a banquet with the king and the queen and all of Persia. This emboldened him all the more to seek vengeance against Mordecai. At the banquet, he would ask, he planned, he would ask permission of Xerxes to have Mordecai executed. And he even constructed a large pole 75 feet high, upon which Mordecai would be impaled and raised high so the whole city would see. Before the banquet took place, the king wasn't sleeping well one night. I understand that. And he asked that the chronicles of his reign be read to him. As he listened to the events recorded, he realized that some time ago, Mordecai had discovered the plot to assassinate him and stopped it. And Mordecai was never honored for doing this. So he called for Haman to come before him. He asked Haman for his advice about what should the king do when a man who did a great act for the king, a great act of loyalty and courage, wasn't thanked. How should we honor such a man? Haman, in his arrogance, assumed that this honor was coming to him. So he advised the king to do something that he wanted. He said to Xerxes, that man should be mounted on the greatest and mightiest horse in in all of Persia. And there should be a parade through the city with great pomp and circumstance. And you'll have a man lead that horse shouting to the masses, this is what the king does for one who honors him and is faithful and loyal to him. The king thought, that's a great idea, Haman. Go get Mordecai. He's that man. And you know what? Why don't you lead the horse? Talk about pride going before the fall. (laughs) So he had to do that, and... Mordecai was, excuse me, Haman was mortified and humiliated. But the plan to kill all the Jews on March 7 was still in place and it was drawing closer. Haman still came to the banquet that Esther invited him to. And during the banquet, Haman, with with Haman right before Xerxes, he asked the queen what would you like me to give you my queen anything up to all of my kingdom second in command to me what would you like and he promised to fulfill that request it was this moment that effort that excuse me that esther revealed her jewish heritage to the king as well as haman's diabolical plot to have her and all of her people killed in a rage the king ordered Haman to be impaled on the very pole he had constructed for Mordecai the order for the March 7 execution however was still in force for according to the law of the Medes and Persians which even Xerxes was bound to an order of the king could not be revoked even by the king himself So Xerxes granted the Jews the right to gather weapons and an army to defend themselves against any who might attack them on that day. And they did so. And the people were saved. Mordecai was promoted to Haman's Haman's high position. And the Jews were granted protection throughout the land. The people celebrated God's tremendous deliverance and a joyous festival called Purim was instituted which is celebrated every year to this day on the 7th of March. This is Esther's story, a story of faith, a story of courage. How one young woman found the courage within her to stand before the king, to go on behalf of her people at the risk of her own life. How this book was put together in the sense of it is a book of books, it is 66 of them to be exact, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New, that will be on the quiz, uh, <laughs> but there are 66 books, so how did we get this? Did God hand it down from heaven and say, here you go? It wasn't quite that simple. We believe God inspired all the writers of these books to, upon their hearts, give us what God wanted to say. But there were many, many other writings that people were considering as to whether or not they should be part of what is called the canon of Scripture, the the included books. And I I say that to say this. The book of Esther was among... Several books <clears throat> excuse me, in the Old Testament, that were disputed. And they, it was one of the last to actually be included where the church said, "Now this one belongs, and here's why." okay? The reasons that this book was at first excluded or debated at least was, well, several reasons. For one, Esther is not mentioned anywhere else in the Bible outside of the book of Esther. She's not mentioned in the Old Testament. She's not referred back to in the New Testament. You only find Esther here. Secondly, God is never mentioned in the ten chapters. Not any of the names of God. So that, And that was probably the key reason why many would he- hesitate to include this book. The word prayer is never used. The law of Moses is never mentioned. So for those reasons, there was a lot of hesitation. But here's why this book was included. There was um, forms of prayer, or prayer was implied. When you go to the the fourth chapter, verses 1 through 3, this is just after... um, Mordecai learned of the plot to kill his people. When Mordecai learned of all that had been done, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes and went into the city wailing loudly and bitterly. That is a sign that like what sackcloth and ashes is something you do as, as a sign of grief. people would do that uh, after the death of someone or something they are they are very uh, upset about. Um, when, when you th- it sounds really strange to us, but when you think about it, it, it's the the symbolism of sackcloth and ashes is this. Inside, you feel horrible. Inside, you words don't express the pain, the grief, the fear, the anxiety that you're feeling. And how do you express it? Words aren't enough. Screaming might not feel like enough. So put on something very uncomfortable, sackcloth. Douse yourself with ashes and just look dirty and really uncomfortable because then you are expressing to people around you how you feel inside in a visual kind of way. So this was done in connection with prayer. So even though prayer isn't directly mentioned here in the text, it is I think very safely assumed that Mordecai and many others were indeed praying. And then down to verse 15 of the same fourth chapter. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, Go, gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days or nights, and I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. If I perish, I perish. But she wasn't going to do that until she had prayer backing because prayer is always connected with fasting. So again, it doesn't directly say the word prayer or praying, but they're fasting and, and for, for days and going without food and water for a purpose, and, and so there was prayer happening from Mordecai, from Esther, from her household, and, and all other Jews that they could get the word to about what was going on, and to, that the prayers would carry Esther before the king, and he would respond in, in the best possible way. So, why, why else is this book in the Bible? Well, um, we also see the law of Moses being implied, although it doesn't say, here's the rules that we have to be reminded of as Moses laid them out for us. Um, In the eighth verse of the third chapter, this is when Haman is trying to convince Xerxes to carry out this horrible plot. Then Haman said to King Xerxes, there is a certain people dispersed among the peoples of all the provinces in your kingdom who keep themselves separate. Their customs are different from those of all the other people. They do not obey the king's laws. It is not in the king's best interest to tolerate them. So the Jews were living differently. Now, why would you do that? Because they are still adhering to the ways that they were handed in the law of Moses. And even though they were living in a foreign land, they still stuck to that. Because why else would you put the pressure on yourselves and, your, and your, your household and your community unless you believed in your heart this was the right thing to do. So the Jews were adhering to the law of Moses, even though it doesn't directly say it. And I think there's a lesson here in the larger sense about Esther and about the story that transfers even into our New Testament. There was another book in the Bible that was also disputed quite a bit in the New Testament, and that book is James. And the reason the book of James was disputed is because in the eyes of some of the church leaders, James had too much emphasis on works. They wanted to make sure that that the the way of salvation was grace, grace, and grace. And it's not about works. And yet, as James rightly points out, there needs to be a balance in that. Yes, faith is where it starts. Yes, grace is the access to, you know, uh, through faith that, that God has given to us. But we have a responsibility to act upon that faith and upon that grace. James says this in the, in the first chapter, and then I'll jump into the second chapter, the end of the first chapter at 22 of James. The second chapter, the 14th verse. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. So the story of Esther is an action book. The story of Esther is faith in action when everything was on the line. And so we see that demonstrated in in her life within this story and what James reminds us about. And of course, true faith is always an act of love. She loved her own people. And even though she was queen and had anything she wanted, like I was sharing with the kids, she still didn't forget where she came from. And she had so much courage. And as Paul writes in Galatians chapter five at verse six, the, the bottom line to all of this is you know the, the thing that, that matters the most, he says here. Now remember, Galatians was a book written by Paul to address um, the, there was a practice in the early church among Jews that accepted Christ to hang on to the law. Like we believe in, in Jesus, He's the Messiah, we need to have faith in Him, but then they would still hold on to their traditions. They would hold on to the law, specifically circumcision, um, but also Sabbath and other things. But, so Galatians is written to address that problem. Because Paul is saying, no, it's, it, it is about grace. It's not about the rules that you follow. Okay? But how do we express ourselves as saved by grace and faith? Galatians 5, 6. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Wow. That's an underline verse. I mean, Paul goes into great detail about why specifically circumcision doesn't have to be followed by all believers and why, if the Jews still want to do that as kind of a a cultural custom, okay, but this is not something we have to uh, put upon everyone else or the rest of the law of Moses because we have been set free of that law. And what matters most, what counts most, Faith, expressing itself through love. So there, there is faith in, in the unseen God who sent us His Son, Jesus Christ, who lived, died, and rose again for us. Faith in Him. And then there is, and that was motivated from the love of God, from the love of Christ to us. So what, what is our response to that gift, that grace? It is love to act in love toward others that's what esther did in her day that's what we continue to do with christ now in our day and then lastly esther is like jesus in these ways john chapter 15 verse 13 greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends Esther was ready to do that. If I die, I die. If this is the end, this is the end. I need to go before the king. I need to do this. Now consider what she was letting go of, what she was willing to let go of. And that's really what it's about. It's the will, okay? The kids did a great job, by the way. I asked about what they, what their favorite things are, their favorite possessions, and they're all talking about God and family and people and love and, you know, not one of them said, you know, they're a game system at home or, <laughs> or, or anything else. Uh, but isn't it within our nature, if we're honest with ourselves, to cling to things? And not just material things. To cling to position. To, to, to cling to the honors that you've been given. Okay? So in this way, Esther is like Jesus. Esther had everything. The queen in the palace, one of the most beautiful women in the world, all the food, all the clothes, anything she wanted, she could have. And yet, she is ready to lay all of that aside, and even to die, if need be, for the sake of her own people. That is the attitude of Christ, and we see that in Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse 5, might be a very familiar passage, always worth hearing again. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, or some versions might say something to be grasped, held onto. He let go of glory as an act of love and died and was humiliated but then was risen up. We see this in the Old Testament. We see what are called types of what was to come. We see it in Abraham and Isaac when Abraham was asked to give up his son, his one and only son, on a sacrificial altar. No, he didn't have to carry it through, but he had to have the will to do so, the willingness to do so. And and I believe we see the same thing in Esther. We see her with with all of the riches, all of the, the possessions, the things that people would love, the attention. And yet, she was willing to lay all of that aside for the sake of her people, as Jesus was willing, and indeed did, to lay aside his life for all of us. So I hope you're inspired by Esther. I, I hope that, that her story will, will resonate in your hearts that this, this young woman was ready to go before others and risk it all for the sake of her people. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord God, for the inspiring story of Esther. And may the, the truth of that story continue to guide each of us in some way in our lives. And we praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together, and we'll go to our closing song.